12 hours later, I was sent to the 28th precinct, transferred to, let's put it this way, the smallest precinct that lost the most cops. The busiest, worst precinct in the city of New York. We were known as the murder factory. 365 days a year, you would have a homicide, and handling that was 25 detectives, and I was one of them. I worked on a number of pictures. Where did you meet this one? Where did you go? What did you do? You're in a no smoking area, sir. Will you please extinguish your cigarettes? You got to watch who you talk to. You're gonna hate yourself in the morning. There's been a lot of hassles here. Is that the one that followed you? Yeah. Why didn't you go with him? I don't know. Fred Jerkinson was a surprise to me because he was a very good actor. He was a natural. I'm born and raised in this neighborhood, and this neighborhood was always at the bottom. The drug problem was out of hand. You didn't have walking cops. Everybody was in a radio car. We had problems. You could see it was building. Thirteen police officers had been set up and killed. Chiagentini and Jones, Foster and Laurie, Curry and Benetti shot outside the DA's office. All right here, that day. At about 10 to 12, this 1013 call came over. 1013 means a police officer needs assistance. And it was accompanied by shots fired. I'm on the second floor at 102 West 116th Street. Minister Louis Farrakhan's mosque number seven. I'm here nine years. We never had trouble at the mosque. And then when I realized that this cop is shot inside there, we're going to have a problem. The Panthers would stand outside and sing Bridge Over Troubled Waters and then try to force their way into the precinct. The initial call was made from a landline to 9-11. As a cop, if I listened to that, I would have known it was a phony. I'm sorry to say it wasn't newsworthy. South of 96th Street was 6 o'clock news. North of 96th Street, it was just another homicide. It was a nightmare to work into the 2-8. That's where I went. And guess what? 
I love every minute of it. I wouldn't change it for nothing. Are you mad enough when you're going My name is Randy Jurgensen. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be talking a little bit today and certainly in the future of how I went from Harlem to homicide to Hollywood. Um, <clears throat> I'll start a little bit about Hollywood and work my way back, back to Harlem. During the 70s, uh, <clears throat> I worked on some of the most iconic films that were ever made. <clears throat> it started with me, with the French Connection. Uh, I actually drove in the chase. I actually drove the master uh, with <clears throat> William Freakin, Billy Freakin, the director, operating, operating the camera. And that chase, <clears throat> that chase has always been number one. Um, <clears throat> and then went from the French Connection, I went into the uh, Godfather, making the Godfather. I wound up out in Nassau County, uh, Long Island, uh, operating a machine gun as to where uh, I would shoot uh, the famous or infamous uh, toll booth scene that had James Caan who was playing Sonny Corleone, I machine-gunned him to death. In fact, uh, Francis Coppola said to me, because of all the women who were in love with uh, James Caan playing uh, Sonny Corleone, that I would probably be the most hated man in America. I went on to make pictures and drove in some of the pictures uh, the Seven Ups, uh, report to the commissioner, badge, seven, badge 373. I wound up uh, working on a picture that was um, based upon my uh, earlier exploits, uh, the uh, cruising, of to which uh, Al Pacino, uh, Al Pacino's character, it, it, it's based on me. Um, Al Pacino did portray me in the movie uh, Cruising. In the future, I will be, in future episodes, I will be talking about that and talking about these pictures uh, and, and how I got into these pictures and the role that I played in these pictures, acting, driving, and, and wound up, you know, and wound up uh, producing, uh, co-producing and, and producing some of my own movies. However, to go back to Harlem, I was born um, <clears throat> to the parents of uh, superintendents. Um, they were the superintendents of a five-floor walk-up. I was uh, maybe two blocks south of 125th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. And in fact, I was, I was born in the building, the hospital that mom was supposed to go to they had some kind of a measles epidemic or whatever it was. 
So I, I, was actually, I was actually born at home. That house that I was born and raised in is about six, six and a half blocks from the uh, famous Apollo Theater, which is located on 125th Street uh, in, in Harlem. I, would, I, wound up, I wound up working there, working in Harlem. However, um, I went to school, uh, a Catholic school, uh, by the name of uh, Corpus Christi. Uh, we could walk to the school. It was two or three blocks uh, from, where, from where I was living. Um, and the school went up to the eighth grade, and it had two first grades, two second grades, two third grades, and always opposite, never in the grade that I was, was George Carlin, Georgie Carlin. Of course, we became friends. We had a little gang, uh, you know, as we got older, and, and George, was, uh, George was in the gang. Um, <clears throat> part of my chores as uh, the oldest of five uh, <clears throat> being superintendents, uh, every Friday, my brother and myself, we would have to, uh, you know, sweep the halls down, or maybe it was a Saturday because Sunday everybody went to church. So uh, we would have to sweep the halls down, my brother and myself. We'd mop the halls down. Uh, every Monday to Friday, when we uh, went to school, we would uh, go out front and we would take the empty garbage cans and throw them down the stairs off the sidewalk. Um, <clears throat> we were 10 and 9, and th these were the things that we were doing. Very early on in life, uh, for me anyway, I learned that, you know, <laughs> if, I, if I wanted some money, I was going to have to go out and, and earn it. <laughs> so I learned that very, very early on. As I um, grew up in West Harlem, as I grew up, um, when I got out of the uh, eighth grade, but a few things happened uh, happened to me that sort of gave me a little bit of a an arrest record that would come back to haunt me later on. Uh, we used to swim, uh, as they called it, you know, bare ass in the Hudson River right off of 125th Street. Of course, we always had underwear on, and inevitably we would get we would get caught. We would get caught. The, the cops would catch us. And also, back then, truant officers were very active, very active. So um, <clears throat> when we would get caught, you know, the five of us, the six of us, including George Carlin and a few others of my friends uh, back then. By the way, this belongs here now. Of that hard five or six... Um, uh, we would all grow. Uh, we would all grow up, <clears throat> lie about our age to get into the military, and um, three of us, three of us became cops. Uh, the other three, um, <clears throat> the other three, wound up much later on in life. Uh, one went down for a murder. The other two. Uh, <clears throat> 
they couldn't pass the liquor store, that they couldn't stick up, finally got caught, went to jail. <clears throat> Much later on in life, you know, <clears throat> one was killed, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to the other one. But that was like the six or seven of us that started, say, from the sixth grade getting in trouble. And how did we get in trouble? Well, <clears throat> we were swimming in the Hudson River, and when we would get caught, we would all give a phony name. So one day, <clears throat> we got caught naturally, and we're lined up. You know, six of us, uh, five of us at least, are lined up. And I remember that I was first in line, and I gave a name. I don't know. I don't know what it was. The next two or three, they gave. Uh, they they gave. They gave the phony name. And when it came to George Collin, George Collin gave the cops Randy Jurgensen, the right name, my right address of, of where I live, and of course, you know, it's all a big joke, uh, but those are the things that George Collin was doing early on in life. <clears throat> so when I got out of the eighth grade, I knew of a man in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood, and his name was Clint. And Clint was a black man. And Clint would take, long before lotto was legal, Clint would be collecting numbers. He'd collect numbers. Back then, everybody, everybody in my neighborhood played numbers. It was a quarter. It was a quarter. Understand the times that I'm talking about. And, you know, if you won for a quarter, you won $125. I would say that that's like $1,250 today. So <clears throat> everybody in the neighborhood was betting numbers with Clint. I'll tell you what else Clint did. <clears throat> there would be a Saturday, and we were... Five, six, seven of us, of course, we had our gang, and of course, we're getting into trouble, uh, but not trouble like I explained about sticking up liquor stores. No, we're, we're getting into trouble. And he would come along, and he would grab the five or six of us, and he'd walk us down to 125th Street, and there was a theater there called the Columbia uh, that had so many bugs in it that we called it the Itch House. And he would take us down there, and he would put us in the movies. Back then, you saw, <laughs> you saw at least two movies and five episodes. I mean, if you went in there at 12 o'clock, you weren't getting out until 5. And when you came out, if it was still daylight, your eyes hurt. That's what Clint would do. Uh, <clears throat> back then, uh, <clears throat> my parents would collect collect the rent from the people that resided in the building. And I'll never forget this. The rent was $28. Every month, without exaggeration, somebody would knock on our door and say, I can't pay the rent this month. I can only give this X amount of money. The building was owned by a Jewish, Jewish man by the name of Friedberg. <clears throat> he never ever put anybody out. He did not do that at all. I mean, the man was a sweetheart. 
My mother would explain to him why they couldn't pay the rent, and he said, okay, we'll get it next month or whatever. It was great. However, <clears throat> a couple of buildings down from me, the people were experiencing the same thing. And this is the story about Clint. Uh, they were experiencing the same thing. And there was a sheriff, actually a sheriff's department in the city of New York, and part of their job was that people who did not pay their rent, they came and actually put the furniture out in the street. And so this happened uh, a couple of times, but I can only speak of one, one incident. And as they put the furniture out there in the street, <clears throat> Clint, Clint came along, and whatever he did speaking to them, they went away. And Clint actually paid, paid the rent for these people for one month. And of course, the electricity was shut off and whatever else goes on. And then we, as kids, uh, you know, in that neighborhood, we would pick up the furniture and we brought the furniture uh, back into the house. My mother being the uh, superintendent, <clears throat> my dad never admitted we were superintendents, but my mother being the superintendent, she knew how to go into the basement and turn the lights back on of, of which she did. <clears throat> That's basically how, you know, I was raised. I knew all of that by the time I saw all of that, experienced all of that, by the time I was 12 years of age. Um, I knew in my neighborhood who was taking illegal numbers. I knew in my neighborhood who was taking sports bets down at the bar. I knew in my neighborhood where they would have what was called back then a wire room. And the wire room was a place that you went to uh, knocked on the door, you got in there, and there were all kinds of telephones and charts where they were taking all kind of horse bets. Uh, <clears throat> I saw all of that. And those wire rooms, uh, at this point in the story, those wire rooms would move from different locations. So, I knew all of that by the time that I was 12 years of age. Um, especially the sports bets, since my uncle was taking the sports bets down at the bar. So, <clears throat> when I got out of the eighth grade, um, I began to pick up the numbers for Clint. And what that really meant was going to various locations within the neighborhood. And one of the places that I went to was an ink factory called Sinclair and Valentine's. And what I would do is I would pick up, I would pick up the numbers. They had to be in to Clint before the first race at the racetrack. Back then, it was Belmont and Aqueduct before the first race went off. That's how they would determine the numbers that never came out all at once, all three numbers, they came out one at a time. And then maybe at 2.30, the second number would come out. And by 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 
the third number would come out. So all of the these numbers had to be to Clint by 1 o'clock. So I would pick up the numbers at St. Clair and Valentine. Then I would pick up the numbers at uh, two different bars. And I actually, actually went to the library on 125th Street where these numbers were left. They were always left in a brown bag. And I, I picked up the numbers from there. And then I would go to Clint, which he had a candy store. At first, it was located over on Broadway at about 122nd Street. But then it was located on Amsterdam Avenue at 124th Street. So I would pick these numbers up. And suddenly, I found myself with money in my pocket. Um, good money. Good money in my pocket. Uh, and with that said, uh, <clears throat> with that said, uh, this is not the first time that I'm revealing that. <clears throat> that was the last time I went to school. I... I, I, I never went to school again. I had <clears throat> been accepted into a Catholic school called Bishop Dubois on 152nd Street. And the only time, you know, being the, the wise ass or the wise guy that I was, when I heard that they were having uh, a mixed dance, that meant that girls would be coming to the dance at uh, Bishop Dubois high school I went and I I attended the I attended just just to meet the schools I never did a day of going into that high school so <clears throat> that blossomed into the wire room that I explained to you I would then stand out on 125th street and Amsterdam avenue looking straight across 125th street I could see the Apollo theater um, I would then, and I was paid for this, I would then, the people who were going to bet on the, on the horses would come to me and I would give them the current address of where the wire room was, uh, of where the wire room was. Plus, there were floating crap games in the neighborhood and I knew where they were and the people would, the crap shooters, dice, uh, they they would come up to me and they would ask where is the floating crap game that only happened on weekends so I was making good money I would then come home and I saw how my father did it with his mother which is my grandmother my father would go to my grandmother's house every Friday night and he would put money on the table so I began and my brother did the same thing I began with the money that I was making, I would go home and I would put the money on the kitchen table. Uh, <clears throat> I think my father didn't know, but uh, my mother had eyes in the back of her head. My mother knew that I wasn't going to school and what I was doing. So uh, <clears throat> obviously one day I got caught. I got caught taking, uh, you know, bringing the numbers over to Clint. So, hold on, they're on the break. I will tell you uh, in the future exactly, you know, 
how that affected me going on to become a police they, officer. They took a quick break. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No, I mean I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York, 631-900-DUMP. Elm Logistics, for all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, pride, performance, and partnerships. Take care.